One of the things I've loved over the years is taking learnings from different industries, different sectors, and working out how we can apply that to the world of business and recruitment in particular. So delighted to welcome as my guest today, somebody who's worked in the elite world of sport as an analyst and a psychologist, who's taken everything he's learned over the years and built a phenomenal platform called My People, where he can not only help employers build the ultimate team, but he can also really make sure that the cultural fit of candidates to to, to employers is as good as it needs to be. Uh, fascinating insights, great guy, and he's a Liverpool fan. Tick, tick, tick. Enjoy that. Massive welcome to Christian Hughes to the TRM podcast. Christian, very good to have you. Uh, how are you doing? Fantastic. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you for the invite. Very good. Listen, we're going to spend the next 20, 25 minutes just chatting about uh, all things performance, all things teams, culture. Uh, we're going to look at the art of connecting the right candidates to the right, uh, right employers. Um, but for those of you not familiar with you and your background that's taken you to the CEO and fan of my people, um, do you want to just give us a look, because it's been a fascinating journey and you work with some extraordinary organisations in the world of sport and business. Do you want to give, uh, just give us an overview of, uh, of the journey? Let's start from your youth. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what an introduction. Uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate in my career to work with some incredible sports teams, both at a distance and close up, which has enabled me to research uh, as much about why they were successful as to um, as to be involved in that. So some of that was in the early days of GB cycling uh, and then went into England rugby uh, and British Irish Lions, Tour de France. Um, most of that focus was on the selection and improvement of athletes. Uh, so there's been some incredible projects that have been involved in and then had time afterwards to think about why things worked and why things didn't. Mm. So, Just for example... Get, what, what qualified you to get into those extraordinary, you know, elite teams in the yeah, first place? Very good question. <laughs> uh, large dosing of luck in the first instance and then the fact that I'd been in and around those environments and, and built up a, a network and a, a set of relationships with people in those environments. My starting point was in counselling. I was very interested in how individuals uh, improved, uh, the sort of science of improvement. So my background was in counselling, my first degree was in counselling, then I did a degree in psychology, uh, then onto the academic trail of masters and, um, and doctorate. Uh, but all of that was done in conjunction with the work at the time. And, and my first sort of starting point was just a simple placement with a friend who was working in one of these sports teams that got me some knowledge and experience and working with a network. And because in those early 2000s, it was a relatively new area, the idea of psychology and analysis, data analysis, um, and using that data to drive performance improvement. Uh, I was lucky to be part of part of a group. There was about 13 or 14 of us back in those early days. Um, yeah. Now it's a whole discipline. There's books and it's a pop psych world. But there's only there's only some of the founding forefathers of the discipline. Uh, <laughs> there's, only, there's only a few of the big 14. Um, <laughs> Is that another way of saying I look old? <laughs> <laughs> so that but so that was literally a a friend who was in the world of elite sports who said uh, I think we could we can it'd be worth having a chat and initially so what was that was that focused more on the analysis side or the cycle uh, the, the psychology of performance 
Oh, in the in the first days, it was a spare hand to do data analysis. Um, so crunching through um, different things like factor analysis and psychological statistical techniques. Um, so in those days, uh, my, my initial sort of research exposure and counseling had been around um, yeah, stats. So that was my starting point. And then it became more involved. And I think perhaps the fascinating element of the journey that relates very much to business is the way that in the early days of, if you took GB cycling, for example, the first starting point for understanding performance was, was very close to the performance itself. And what I mean by that is you had an athlete and you had a bike. And the bike had aerodynamic testing and what you did in a wind tunnel typically resulted in improvements in the bike that were, that were fairly um, uh, transferable. So what, what happened in the wind tunnel, the fidelity was good, you got, it, you got the performance in the bike. The athlete was far more um, uh, variable. You'd, you'd look at uh, the nutrition, you look at power weight ratios, you look at power generation, you'd look at the, how long they could sustain power for at the wheel. And all of those metrics were very close to the performance and they were in business terms, they're almost like the sales metrics that you'd have before you delivered a sale. Um, but we found that the translation of, of those metrics into performance was not very good. You know, you'd have all sorts of things that would appear on the training bike that never uh, manifested itself in, a, in an Olympic cycle when they were on the track. So we knew there's a lot of other stuff going on here that we're not measuring that is causing performance to, to dip or improve and we should be measuring it. So a journey started around what are the influencing factors of performance and it became more abstract in the beginning it was right the step back from the athlete became nutrition so nutrition became a very popular area of, of mm. study uh, in the early 2000s then that that sort of gain if you like from that became fairly small so all the sports teams were doing the same sort of thing so the next sort of step back was well what about the rider and the coach what's their relationship like does that influence performance of course uh, and then it became you know taking a step back again what about the environment that we're creating here in, in the cycling team does it marry up to the performance environment that someone has to deliver in actually not at all so let's start playing around with that and test and measure and see if we can create better environments and ultimately we, sorry. Yeah. so it's just what else what else what else might influence performance what else yeah yeah, I think if you think of the journey of any organization, if you took a tech startup, for example, in the first period of time, the first year, for example, every every improvement is a big improvement because yeah. there's not a lot to go from. You're starting yeah. from that. But once you get over that golden bullet approach whereby you do one thing and it makes a difference to your organization, then those golden bullets dry up and you're left with, well, what else can we improve? And what came out of that cycling approach was, um, it's well popularized now, marginal gains, but the idea that there are no more golden bullets. So what's the next best silver bullets? What are the little things that actually influence performance? Mm. Perhaps the piece that gets lost in the media is it wasn't just a journey of spending loads of money on getting a thousand different gains. It was actually looking strategically of what are the 10% gains that are actually going to make the biggest improvement to this organization mm. um, rather than doing a thousand things that would possibly improve let's do the, the hundred that really will do something different to the organization the 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 bit the bit will come on to how what lessons business can learn from the, the world of sport but the 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 bit where you started looking at the data and analyzing that and looking for the opportunity but then you've got the other side of you which is around the psychology of it so when you were involved were you principally focused on the data and the analytics uh or the psychology or was it was your was your experience a blend of both? 
both started data and then became more about the psychology uh, and that was of personal interest because you'd have the data mm. but that that wasn't the end of the story having the data in and of itself didn't improve performance what then had to, to happen was you had to communicate how you were going to improve based on that data and that meant talking with people who who didn't share the level of interest that you do in, in performance and psychology or perhaps who didn't show, have the, the sort of data science background so how do you condense you know, a year's study into three points that a rider needs to make when they're on a track for three minutes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I could share with you at another time some of the packs from GB Cycling that I still have, whereby they're condensed down to, here's the three things you need to do in this race at this point in time. <laughs> so a minute and 30, you do X, yeah. uh, minute and 60, you do Y, and the, the data tells us your, comp your competitor will do this, and here's how you react to it, go. Um, but that might be a year's worth of, data gathering in order to get to that point where you could communicate it to the athlete so for me that was the the point where the rubber met the road if you like psychology yeah. is the moment where right now we're trying to influence performance based on the, the data what um so, so let's let's take all this in, into business so you work in uh, obviously with with businesses i mean built on that experience in the, in the world of sports so what are the sort of from a leadership point of view what are the key takeaways that you were automatically looking and focusing on when you're working with business leaders yeah, good question. I suppose there's there's many I could touch on, but perhaps the biggest one that I, I see as an imbalance, why, which is why I've picked it, is that um, balance between talent capability and talent delivery. And so what I mean by that is talent capability is you can be can be thought of as will and skills. So how motivated you are and what level of, sort of skills and capabilities you have. Talent delivery is the environment which enables an individual to deliver on those those skills and, and their motivation. And so the environment affects their, their will um, and improves their skills if you've got it right. Mm. So the problem in business quite often is we focus a lot on talent capability at the hiring phase, your skills, experience, what you've done before, trying to get to almost an exact match so that an individual has worked in almost the exact same job in the exact same type of organisation as, as the next company. And very little on in terms of science and measuring on talent delivery and the environment within which we're about to put this candidate into. Mm. So I, uh, one of my big messages and push throughs this year is, is trying to put people, uh, give people the tools to do that talent delivery piece because it's a huge part of the equation that's ignored. And you can see it in sports all the time. You take players like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's gone into Manchester United, fantastic player, back end of his career, totally different motivations and um, requirements to some of the younger players coming through in, in uh, Manchester United and effectively ended Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's role there that that team was building and coming together and then one individual coming in and a, a misalignment between management and and, uh, and the coaching staff creates this tactical problem and creates a, an environment where it's unlikely this person's now going to deliver yeah so 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 actually again just using that scenario the the analysis the the, the skill and ability with a world-class player and we all know about him getting on a bit but uh, you know he could he could make a difference for any team in the world. But the dynamics of the team and his cultural fit was just not not aligned. And 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 maybe we should have thought about that a little bit before. Yeah. And here's you here's you and me talking to two Liverpool fans. So let's we could go on about this. No doubt we will navigate this conversation to a point where we can hold Liverpool up as the highest bastion of, of a team doing the right things. But, um, yeah, if you look at that environment, what, what you would have wanted to generate 
if it wasn't already generated, was a sort of match of that individual to this team. And it would have then generated a conversation around right the role that Ronaldo is going to play in this team. And a, and a sort of it would have picked up the misalignment between his, his ambitions and the team's and where the team was at in terms of its maturity and structure. There would have been tactical misalignments, of course, but you then would have had those dialogues across the board with the board of the business side of that, that organisation and said, well, this is the impact it's going to have if we take this person on. And, and so much of talent delivery is surfacing those misalignments early doors so you can mm. communicate and talk through them. Yeah, and I guess, I guess in, in business, it's probably more of a subtle misalignment of culture when you get in there when we first met you uh um i got really excited about your product your platform and, uh, and what it can do because it's it it uh it felt like and again i was i was reflecting back on my experience having been client side having been an hr director and thinking if i could if i was able to do that i could have avoided a few things that maybe i didn't get quite right so can you can you just explain the um in the business sense when a an employer is looking for some talent to join the business on, on whatever basis the 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 science behind it which again i know will come from your, your background in sport and all the years of experience you've got but what is the science behind it that can help an employer get this right yeah, absolutely. So we have two products and one in particular is designed for recruiters and that point of recruitment, whereby we're matching someone against a role profile for a fit to a job that is about sort of personality and personality attributes for that job. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. And the second part is measuring the fit of that individual to the team that they're going into. So we take information via a three minute psychometric um, set of statements, I think about 52 statements that an individual a hiring manager will grade as to the importance to their team. And the same will happen for the candidate. And from a statistical analysis, we can then compare how well they will fit into that team and surface any misalignments. Um, we're not trying to create a computer says no position. It's more about the, back to that Manchester United scenario of highlighting here's the things that are important to the candidate. Here's the misalignments with the client. Here's some suggested questions of how you might bridge this and surface what this is about. And that then creates an alignment for the individual going into the candidate going into that team that means they're more likely to deliver um, upon their talent capability there's less chance of rebate and we've got a much stronger dialogue happening right at the beginning before putting a candidate into a job um, in terms of the science of that that's been developed over 20 years and we use a, a 13 construct model that we've developed um, with a number of different universities through the years probably too many to mention now um, that captures the, the essence of team functioning and what is important to team performance and there's no right or wrong it's just about alignment and I suppose the um, um, most most hiring managers, whether they're in-house talent acquisition specialists, HR, or, or just the hiring managers themselves, when when you get under the skin of them, they don't actually know. They can't articulate as clearly as they might do, as as well as we want them to, exactly the fit and the cultural fit and the cultural parameters that we need to get get this in. I was actually talking to. Um, someone called Katrina Collier a couple of days ago, who's a sourcing guru and um, huge amounts of experience. And we were just talking about sourcing in 2022 in a candidate short market and where we find them, how we engage them. And, and, and one of uh, the biggest starting points was, listen, for, don't worry about the candidate for the moment. Let us just get deep under the skin of the employers and really understand what they're looking for, because unless you get understand that as clearly as you need to you never really be able to get the fit right 
So I suppose what your, your what your platform does is just take that to a whole new level. I think that's right. And there's some contradictions in the way that hiring managers operate that I'm sure as recruiters, you know, we've, we've all experienced at various points. Um, and those contradictions come up in, in the way that they will talk about their team and say, you know, I, my team's really important to me, but they won't necessarily invest in describing that team to you or, or having a proper phone call or interview. They just want the, the individual into their, the candidate into their team as, as quickly as possible. The other component to this, which relates back to, to what I was saying about job fit is that most hiring managers can't describe with any degree of science what, what that means. So if you ask them, you know, what's your ideal candidate for this role? They'll use very generic statements. Oh, they've got to be hardworking, diligent. They've got to independent, but work well as a team. Well, how do you measure any of that stuff? And what does that mm. actually mean? Um, you, you couple that with the, higher, the HR manager's drive at the moment for diversity inclusion it makes for a really hard environment for a hiring manager because if a hiring manager is sitting there saying, well, how do I judge whether someone's going to be the right fit for my team with these right. important things going on? There's no tools to help them. So that's part of what we've developed. And one of the, the components of this is, is the job fit component, which is taken from the US um, and UK labor workforce database, where over the last 25 years, not a lot of people realize this, but they've been codifying the optimum personality characteristics for every job. Mm. So there's about 40,000 jobs on our database, which mean that all you have to do is type in a job and mm. your profile is created. So you escape all of that conversation with a hiring manager where you say, eh, I want this, I want that. You can just present, present the profile saying, here's what the psychologists who've done this for 25 years suggest the, the optimum profile is, does that look right to you? Mm. So that's all done through the platform and automated. And yeah, that makes it much easier for the hiring yeah. manager. Going back to what your, the, the, some of the sporting experiences you had when you talked about getting the environment right. Um, so just, just to understand, the platform would help me understand whether this certain, this candidate, or let's say I'm the candidate, would fit into this environment. That dynamic, that environment, however, is dynamic and will change and evolve a little bit. So, is I mean, is is there a danger that it's uh, a here and now uh, fit or, or or lack of fit versus a actually it could be a really good opportunity placement that that could be right moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's all framed through the platform. So we'll say, here's the areas of difference. Here's what you've classified as important versus what the candidate feels is important. And here's some suggested questions to get under the bonnet of this and really explore it with the candidate. And what we're doing there is elevating the hiring dialogue. So instead of that scenario where a hiring manager, their only tool is a set of competency questions, which they're probably not trained to use, uh, and they're focusing on loads of things, we're bringing it right down to here's the areas of difference. Let's explore what they mean. And then that over time will change, of course, uh, but mm. you're elevating that dialogue to make you discuss the things that are actually going to deliver performance rather than you know, 20 or 30 things that have no relevance to the job. Yeah, and, and I guess when I, you know, I were talking the other day about the uh, culture coming from values and coming from behaviours and all that kind of stuff, but again, it, there are so many other different aspects that influence the environment. Um, yeah, if you took, for example, empowerment, which is one of the things we measure, each person's ideal when they come into an organisation around the level of support they're going to get from their teammates, from their um, manager. Mm. I'd say that probably is rarely discussed in, in the hiring phase, in the recruit, recruiting phase, but it's actually quite critical, a mismatch there. If you've got a hiring manager who's saying, or un, unwittingly feels that the candidate coming in should just be able to go off, do whatever, you hear the phrase, hit the ground running so many times, what does that mean in practice? Are we effectively saying, 
go and sit in your office and deliver and I'm not going to speak to you for the next three months. Um, bringing that to the surface and saying like, what's the structure from the day I come in to you know, six months in? What's the expectation of when I'm up to speed? Bringing that conversation up around empowerment and how much accountability and flexibility the, the candidate has means that you're starting to build development plans unknowingly. You're starting to think about how someone will succeed rather than whether they will succeed or not. And that's a much more important focus um, or as important a focus in the hiring phase as whether they've got the skills and experience. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing is, uh, the, you know, the current market in particular, you know, if, 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 if I'm a recruitment agency, I need to source a load of candidates, I need to engage them, I need to give them a good experience to keep them moving down the track and give them opportunity. But, but ultimately, you know, people have got jobs if they want jobs at the moment. And therefore, it's the engagement piece is, is the critical piece. And I suppose if I'm going to take the risk of moving jobs, or I've worked out what I want to want to move jobs, that ability and confidence to know the organisation I'm moving to is, is a real fit for me. Is, is, is not only uh, rewarding and comforting from me making a decision, but actually for me as a recruitment agency, able to say, not only uh, can you read about this business, I can give you some scientific data, which will confirm everything you need to know about it, just to make sure that the fit is absolutely spot on. And if it's not, I wouldn't be moving ahead. Absolutely. When you think about now, I'm sure many recruiters can, can vouch for this, uh, what a candidate is exposed to via LinkedIn and social media around mm. other organizations and the organizations they may join, that means they're much more aware of, of the organization that they could be joining than they were, say, 20 years ago, where the, the main reasons for moving were career progression or salary. Now there's concepts like, you know, the flexibility of my, my working environment, the, right. the sort of social responsibility of the organization I'm going to, the moral, moral and ethical code of the, the company and their contribution to society. There's a lot in there now, which is difficult for a candidate to describe. So we can capture that in three minutes through a, a, the psychometric, uh, which isn't a test, it's just a set of statements. And that gives them comfort to the candidate of, Here, here's what you're telling us you're looking for. Does this marry up? Uh, and therefore, this organisation we're going through, being through the same exercise, they seem a good fit. So you can start to take the candidate seriously around their values and their purpose, rather than just give it lip service, which is probably what we're left with if we don't have the tools. Yeah, no, love it, love it. Um, no, that's fantastic. I've got a few, uh, a few, few quick fire questions for you. Just to finish it off. If you've got a couple of minutes, uh, are you ready for this? Go on then. This is where I'm going to fall over. So um, any team that you've been associated with or worked with, either in sport or in business, that has really got this whole uh, cultural piece right, the team bit right, the environment right, which, which is the one that you look back on and, and is your favourite story, or you'd love to say, Gordon, let's go and visit these guys. They are oh, There's a few I can think of. I guess one of the points in this, and back to your point earlier about being dynamic, is, is they've never lasted forever. Um, so GB Cycling had some fantastic periods. Uh, GB Rowing was fantastic. I look at the Liverpool team at the moment that I'm not involved in, sadly, although I am a supporter, and their hiring um, and the ability to fit people into their team is based on such amazing data work uh, yeah. around talent delivery. I think they're such a wonderful example of the difference between bringing someone in who costs 40 million and then being able to execute on it. I've got a couple of uh, friends who, who work in and around there, so uh, I have some access to the data. But they're, they're doing a great job 
Uh, and you can see that on the pitch, you know, they're not mm. spending as much as some. I know I'm biased here, but they're not spending as much as some that will sure remain mm. nameless. And yet they're bringing in players who fit almost, almost immediately. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, any book around this whole piece that is just a go-to that we should all read? Probably mine. I'm going to be <laughs> writing. Uh, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I didn't even um, know you were in a book, so there's my research out of the window. Yeah. Uh, no, we've got something that might that will be released, I think, early next year on this uh, around team building great teams. But you know, I'm sure there's plenty of time to talk about that later later on in the year. Um, we'll I, I, have I mean, you back. We'll have you back for pre-launch. <laughs> I uh, like. I'm trying to think. Most of the stuff I've read is academic, so it's quite boring to to most people. I do like the Matthew Syed books. I think they. They've captured sort of the some of the individual lessons. Um, my particular interest is in teams and, and what gels a team together. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. A final one. Who who the most inspirational person you have run around table with in the last week? No, that's not actually. <laughs> uh, I know. Sorry, I don't know who writes this stuff. Um, who is in, as a business leader, or no, as a leader in business or or, or sport or life generally? Who who sort of inspires you? God, dear. Uh, <laughs> you cannot say Jurgen Klopp. Oh, that, that ruins it then. Um, yeah, most of the, the sort of sports leaders uh, that I, or sports leaders that I admired were more captains of their teams. Uh, I absolutely adored Martin Johnson. Uh, I, I quite like those people who have the ability to inspire others with very few words. Yeah, you probably can see I'm quite verbose, and I'm working on being you, tighter. You, you respect the less gobby ones. Yeah, I like their ability to have authority with less words. <laughs> uh, something for me to look up to. Good, good. No, love it. Um, Christian, listen, I'm a big, massive fan of uh, the My People platform, and uh, we're, we're certainly very excited to you. Uh, people who want to reach out and find out a little bit more, how do we? Uh, how do they find out? Uh, if you pop into our website, mypeoplegroup.com. Uh, or contact me direct, c.hughes at mypeoplegroup.com. Absolutely love it. And we will we will definitely have you back for the big book launch. Uh, Thank you very much. The fact that it's a book not quite finished makes me feel better that I haven't read it. So um, I, <laughs> I look forward to that coming Obviously, you'll, you'll get the first coffee, Gordon. Brilliant. Thanks for coming. Good to talk. Absolute pleasure. Good to talk to you. Take care.